0: Hello and welcome to this podcast discussion on how much you should invest offshore sponsored by PSG Wealth. Investing abroad is not only about looking at different asset classes and securities beyond your home turf. It's about what is efficient and suitable from a health management perspective and about executing a specific advice strategy. But how should you look at your offshore investment strategy? My name is Leo Gavaza with the Business Day and Finance Mail, And I'll be your host for what looks to be quite an engaging and uh, topical conversation. And uh, joining me to answer the crucial question of how much you should be investing offshore is Adrian Pass, who is uh, the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth. Adrian, once again, greetings to you today.
1: Hi, Mediwa, and hello to all the podcasters as well.
0: Now, there's a lot to, you know, unpack and uh, consider. Um, You know, when it comes to the world of offshore investment, there's been a lot that's been said about it, a lot of people discussing whether or not to keep uh, their investments in South Africa, whether you need to diversify and uh, be investing in international instruments. And I think you and I have touched on this a couple of times uh, during this series, um, Adrian. Perhaps you could start off by giving us some understanding of what are the primary considerations for investors uh, when investing uh, abroad?
1: Yeah, I think at the moment what, what we see happening is um, we, we obviously all know what's happening to the foreign direct investment. So there's a fear of recession on the, on the cards at the moment. So, uh, there is the risk of trade, which means emerging markets fall out of favor again. And the safe haven regions and asset classes tend to, tend to come into the fore again. Closer to home, if you look at the South African landscape, um, we see investors moving money either to very conservative uh, investment vehicles like money market funds or fixed income funds or cash accounts, even. Um, and the other big move has been to diversify offshore, and and hopefully it's only diversification, but what we do think is happening at the moment, there's, there's actually an over-allocation to, to offshore taking place, and that's largely um, on the back of just very poor sentiment. People are feeling quite emotional about the prospects for the country, but there are definitely other things that, that we need to take into consideration as, as well. Um, especially if you look at what's happening in the asset management industry, the guys will, for example, approach it from a, a portfolio management perspective with a little bit more science behind it, trying to see what's the covariance, f- for example, between two asset classes um, in order to get a smoother profile in, in the return outcome for the client. But then from a wealth management perspective, what I think is really important is to consider what are your immediate liabilities, for example? Do you have local debts to pay? Do you have a holiday plan? Do you have income requirements in retirement, for example? Or um, have you sufficiently catered for emergency funding uh, if, that, if that situation does call on, on capital? And also I think a, a neglected area in wealth management, unfortunately, is also estate planning. Because what happens with offshore investments on death is that there might be uh, significant taxes payable, um, when you, when, when you do pass away. And those things need to be taken into consideration as well.
0: A lot to unpack there, um, Adrian, and one of the things that I really took note of as you were speaking was the fact that, uh, you know, you're saying that there's an over allocation, you know, to some of these uh, offshore investments, albeit, yes, um, some of the fund managers are working, you know, within the bounds of, uh, you know, some of the standards, trying to take a scientific approach. What are the additional then considerations for investors, um, you know, when investing, when investing abroad, because I think, just now you were mentioning um, you need to think about your liabilities, what you have planned, what type of retirement planning. All of that, you know, I, I can imagine is an initial type of conversation, you know, that's, uh, that, that's typically had in these situations. What else should investors be, be considering before they decide that, you know what, the international markets are for me?
1: Yeah, you know, I think maybe if we, if we talk a little bit more about the specifics in terms of estate planning, for example. So to, to give you an indication as to how important this could be is investors tend to be quite fixated with the investment prospects in isolation before, before taxes. So, um, you know, it's, it's then very easy to. Come to a conclusion that you shouldn't make investment in South Africa because the economy is weak or the leadership or this and that. We we all know um, the various feelings out there. Um, but if you think of estate planning, if you if you pass away, the estate taxes could amount to as much as forty percent of your estate on your offshore investments. So that nearly halves your um, your your. Your profits that you would have made out of uh, your offshore investments, and i don 't think uh, investors often look at that specific component if you if you consider for example, your immediate liabilities, so we know that in the South African context investors don 't have a sufficient amount to retire on it 's always the stats doing the round thing uh, roughly six percent of the population can actually um, will be able to 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 afford to retire if that's the case it means that the, the the income that you draw out of your investment will be a substantial portion of that investment because it is it, it is smaller that means you will just naturally have a larger component locally, because you don't want to fund local liabilities with assets that are quite volatile in, in randoms terms because they invested offshore. For that purpose, you want to keep it into something that is a lower duration something closer to a money market fund, for example. But it's it's what we see from DIY investors who go without advice, um, and they're fearful about the prospects. They tend to invest offshore, but they haven't thought that through yet. And you might land yourself in a situation where you have to bring money back in a situation where there's been pressure. I mean, we we know there's risks out there at the moment. Um, We've spoken before about um, high valuations on the S&P 500, for example, that area of the market has taken a lot of new flows. If there's any money that's earmarked for local liabilities, um, it's not a good space. So if you've got a portion earmarked to generate, I don't know, say 20,000 Rand in, in a monthly income, but all of a sudden that investment is down 30% or, or even more in, in Rand terms potentially, um, that will have an impact. So our philosophy is always to, keep a significant portion um, domestically and, and it should be aligned with something that's conservative in rent currency so that you can facilitate your immediate liquidity requirements that shouldn't be in a longer term investment portfolio that's more suited for offshore investment.
0: Um, just as a quick, uh, quick follow-up, uh, Adrian, you and I have had conversations about uh, long-term versus short-term type of mindsets. And I think we've also spoken quite a bit about how it tends to be a bit hard for uh, I'm going to use the term that you used just now, um, DIY um, investors or the retail investor to stick it out for the long term because in the short term you're experiencing a lot of pressure. You might have requirements that need you to to draw down on your investments, but for whatever reason, you know, you might be selling too, you know, selling too late, or you know, buying buying in too late, selling too quickly. You know, all of those different uh, dynamics. What do you make... Of the, I'm going to call it fear of missing out, the formal component that's there because what you've just outlined makes logical sense. Rather keep a good portion of your investments in the local currency because there's all these risks that are associated with uh, the offshore investment, whether we're talking tax, whether we're talking, um, you know, funding some of that in a weaker currency, all of that makes perfect sense. But just that emotional element where people are just saying, ah, but I can see you know such great opportunity for return out there. Um, you know, what, what do you say to something like that? The the, the formal element?
1: Yeah I think f- for that one specifically this that's one of the areas where uh, a well-defined formal plan is really useful because if you've gone through the exercise of defining your goals and your needs and what you require Um, And you've put a plan together for achieving those goals. And you've created different areas for your portfolio um, that approaches different goals in different ways. So say, for example, you can go to your wealth manager and say, I've got these um, expenses coming my way. And these are the things that I would like to achieve over the short term as well. And But thinking longer term, this is what I would like to do with my portfolio to ensure that it grows at a pace that is sufficient to sustain me in retirement, or if you're already in retirement, sufficient to sustain my income withdrawals for a long period of time so that I don't run out of money. Um, and then the planner can go through the process of saying, well, if these are the needs, this is where we can put the the, the portion that's focused on your income to ensure that you don't have sleepless nights in terms of, If the market falls, do I still have my income? Because it's catered for in a very conservative framework. But if you're thinking longer term, then you also know that if your plan was crafted in such a way and constructed from an asset allocation perspective in such a way that you will reach your goals, um, then you don't have to worry about the next best thing that comes along. Because the way that your portfolio is constructed is to achieve the goals that you have by trying to chase a higher return. You start to deviate from your plan, which is the, the anchor that you have that's keeping you on track. Um, of course, there's nothing wrong with challenging um, the construction of the portfolio to ensure it's still optimally allocated across asset classes. I think that's a very valuable debate to have. But at the same time, you shouldn't be meaningfully changing that plan on a regular basis because ultimately your long-term goals should be fairly structured in nature so it's not something that should be changing that often unless your circumstances are really necessitate that for whatever circumstances so i think once you've then um pigeonholed your income portfolio to do a certain thing in a certain way then you know what the purpose is you don't want to tinker with that but as soon as you look at the growth portfolio and the, the next bitcoin or the next whatever comes along you must know that you compromise your own success by making changes but i also think this is this is where i think multi-asset funds are playing an important role at the moment because um, these funds typically have a lot of scope in terms of where they can allocate capital either locally or abroad across asset classes etc and they typically aiming for a very specific benchmark outcome whether that's maybe inflation plus five or seven or whatever it is that you require and and then leave it to the manager to then allocate actively between those asset classes, manage the risks, fuel the portfolios at times when it needs it, be more assertive when the portfolio um, allows for it. And then in that way, make sure that the portfolio outcomes are optimized. Um, I think where, where things start to get compliment, complicated is when DIY investors get very emotional. Um, you know, there's an inflammatory headline in the media and they want to make sweeping changes to, to a portfolio. That is actually still very equipped to deliver the result that you wanted. Not every concern needs to be pro, proactively is fine, but not every concern needs to requires a change. Because remember, when we when we put portfolios together for clients, there are certain assumptions that are already factored into account. Like for example, we've spoken about recessions. Recessions happen you know, once every five years. You can expect a drawdown in the market of 30%. If you've got a 40 year investment horizon, that's going to happen eight times on aggregate. So you shouldn't then make sweeping changes to the portfolio every five years when there's a recession. The plan was structured in such a way that it's cognizant of that. But the, the important part is that you don't make mistakes when those pressure events come along. And I think that's where having a plan, having it clearly defined and as a wealth manager, a wealth manager sitting with the client, reiterating the plan, um what to expect from the journey, um, et cetera. Those things are really, really important. So to, to keep someone on track is really the, the critical part because that's typically where investors start to erode a lot of value. They start to allocate assets that were intended for income into more aggressive things or vice versa, stuff that was supposed to generate growth on our own conservative assets because they're scared. And the same for offshore because things are, are not looking great domestically. Now they want to take everything offshore. But there's an ecosystem, there's a balance that's being disrupted when a client does that. And that's the portion that we're trying to get around.
0: So when it comes to where we are now in the discussion, you know, we've looked at, uh, some of the primary considerations, the additional ones, and also the emotional factor uh, that you've just, uh, that we that we were just highlighting now, you know, and one of the ways in which people can avoid some of the pitfalls of taking some of those short-term, uh, more emotionally driven types of decisions. Are there any other rules of thumb, you know, when it comes to what to avoid, you know, whether we're talking hard and fast rules from an industry point of view or or I guess there's regulation that people need to, to to play around, and I know that you know SARS, for example, has uh, recommendation, not recommendations, as uh, has guidelines, you know, around how much you can you know spend offshore and all of that stuff. So, what else is there that people you know should be avoiding?
1: I think we've touched on on the important one. So, um, avoid, uh, avoid emotions. That's that's really important. I think. Uh, avoid avoid ego as well or, or maybe it's closer to maybe a bit of pride um uh, people don't like asking for help in general um but i think these things are complicated sometimes you just need you need the help you know it's like you you just need to listen to the doctor kind of thing and 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 this is the same thing. You if you need help, get the help. So this is where asset managers and wealth managers do an important job. It it's not something I think maybe in the past, going back a few decades, it's something that you could potentially take on yourself. But the landscape of investing internationally and doing wealth management internationally, it's complicated. It it is something that necessitates some additional help. And then I think also unfortunately what happens is I mean, this is ultimately a client's money, and and they they should have a say in how it's invested. But take on the advice that you're given. Uh, at wealth managers aren't just there to push paper around and facilitate um, the the making and the allocation of the investment. These individuals, um, if you've got a good wealth manager. Um, have the required skills to guide you through your decision making and give you proper advice, but it's also again one of those things that people don't like taking that advice. They 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 typically have their own ideas, um, and and that can be quite harmful to to a portfolio. So don't don't be too pride to ask for advice, and when you get that advice, then then take it seriously. I think that that would be my my cautionary.
0: Okay, cool. So, you know, that's the approach uh, that is being suggested uh, by Adrian. You know, if you cannot answer some of the questions that were asked uh, earlier on about uh, the different considerations, emotions, things to avoid, you know, the approach, as much as you can, engage a, a professional to help you with that plan, putting that plan in place, making those assessments, and then executing going forward. So that's where we end off. It has been a really great great discussion, um, you know, just around, um, you know, how much should you invest uh, offshore? And uh, I think the guideline that was given, you know, is, you know, mainly around uh, some of the considerations around uh, the local currency, as well as some of the tax considerations. And um, Adrian highlighting the fact that we do seem to have an over allocation, um, you know, of of, uh, offshore investing that's happening right now and just trying to bring us back To say that uh, actually there are a lot of good options um, in the local market uh, that people do have. And then also at the same time, just talking about uh, the approach uh, that people should also take. He also gave us some of the things that people should avoid. And um, one of the big things he spoke about is obviously the emotions, uh, you know, things like ego. And then he says that as long as you have a solid plan, then you should be good. Anything else? uh, Anything else to add, Adrian? before we let you go?
1: Well, I think that's a that's a very good summary. So I'll leave it there. I can do, only do all.
0: <laughs> all right. So that brings us to the end of this podcast on uh, how much should you invest offshore? Uh, that is sponsored by PSG Wealth. Uh, I've been your host, Muriel Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, player.fm, pocket costs, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts.